Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them. And thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. He was very interesting. You asked great questions. So thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Hope you're doing well. Joe Favorito, longtime sports PR, sports marketing thought leader, is going to join us. He has overseen PR for the New York Knicks, the Philadelphia 76ers, the USTA, the WTA, uh, just a real thought leader in the sports industry. He's on our Sports PR Summit Steering Committee, uh, has a great newsletter that comes out every Sunday that if you don't subscribe to that, you should be because uh, it's kind of the Bible for those of us who work in the sports business industry, the latest news what's going on and best practices and things like that. So I wanted to bring Joe on. He and I were talking offline. Who's doing it right during COVID right now? We're not going to talk about people who aren't doing it right. We're going to keep it positive, but who's doing it right? The leagues, the teams, the brands, the individuals that have really done it right during the last two months. We're going to break that down in our conversation today on Sports Business Radio. I'm joined virtually by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how's it going? Doing good. And uh, I love Joe. I mean, I've seen him and met him a couple times at our PR summit events. And he's just one of those wealth of knowledge guys. If you watch him at your event, he literally has a notebook out and takes notes the entire day. I mean, the guy just soaks up information and then is so well spoken, he can get it back to people. So a uh, great interview. He's always fun to listen to. Yeah. And his Twitter feed at Joe Fav, F-A-V is a must. Um, you know, he's always sharing best practices from other organizations and observations from people he's speaking with and events he's attending. Um, he uh, is head of industry relations at Columbia University in New York. So really interesting guy. I think you'll enjoy hearing from him if you haven't heard from Joe before. All right, big headline of the week, Griggs. Major League Baseball, like everyone, trying to figure out how to restart. So the owners put a proposal, an official proposal in front of the players. And in broad terms, Griggs, here's the main deal points of the proposal. A 50-50 split of revenue from the 2020 season, an 82-game schedule instead of the standard 162, a mid-June spring training and early July opening day, a 14-team postseason rather than the typical 10, games played in home stadiums where allowed, you know, if you play in California, you might not be able to play in your home stadium. 
if you can't play in your home stadium, you would go to either Arizona or to Florida and play at a spring training site. Games would be played in front of no fans. So these are made for TV events. Designated hitters would be uh, standard in the American and National League. So National League would have a designated hitter. You would only play games against divisional and regional opponents. So like the AL West teams would play AL West teams, and then they'd also play NL West teams. So, Griggs, as we've talked on this show, cutting down on cross-country travel, travel out of your region. You're staying in your region, only playing teams in that region. Uh, expanded rosters from 26 to as many as 30 active players with a 20-man taxi squad of minor league players and prospects. So that essentially kills this minor league baseball season. That's important as well because of these expanded rosters. And then, as I said, no fans in the stadium to begin the season. Now, Griggs, so far, Tony Clark, the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association, just at the hint of a 50-50 split, he has said that is a non-starter for the players. We are going to hear some real tough talk in the next week or so. But at the end of the day, if Major League Baseball throws away the entire season over money, boy, I think they're really going to be hurting themselves because they have an opportunity to get back and earn some money. Yes, it's not nearly the pot. It's probably a 40% less pot than what they would typically have because you don't have tickets and concessions and parking and merchandise and all the things that come with having people in the stands at your event. But you still are generating revenue, you're playing these games on TV, you're getting that TV money. The national TV money for Major League Baseball is a reported $1.7 billion. You've also got local TV revenue. The Dodgers get $250 million a season for local TV revenue. So there are revenue streams there. But obviously, if you play no games, you get nothing, Griggs. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, look, you've got two options. You play this shortened season or you don't have a season at all. And obviously you're going to make more money playing the shortened season. So I, I get it. I mean, I, I get that there's going to be definitely some conversation back and forth, some tough conversation the next, like you said, week or so. But um, overall, I think they're very thorough. I like what they're doing. The 82 game season, the less travel, the minor league players on standby. I think uh, overall they've really dug deep in this and uh, I think it's good progress. You know, it's interesting because the original proposal was like, Hey, they're going to play baseball in Arizona in a bubble, right? And everyone's going to be, all 30 teams are going to be in Arizona. Then it was, well, you know, the East Coast teams will play in Florida. The West Coast teams will play in Arizona. Now they're talking about playing in your home stadium. And why is that important? Part of it is you've got signage from sponsors in your home venue. Now you can activate those if you're playing in your home venue. If you're playing at a spring training facility, you don't get to activate that signage. So that's another important element of this. But there's still – this is going to be interesting to watch in all sports, not just Major League Baseball. You hear some players saying, until there's the vaccine, I just don't feel safe going back and and playing. And I think there's going to be some scenarios in any league that tries to start up where players are going to say, you know what? The team can come back, but I'm not coming back because I just don't feel safe. So that's going to be another storyline to watch. 
Yeah, like rosters, like you mentioned. Who's going to be on the team? Who's not going to be on the team? Do they have enough players? Are you going to have more minor league players on teams that don't have all the players there? So that is very interesting to see how the rosters will form. And like you said, too, I agree, the home stadium. Instantly, you've got the ad revenue because of all the signage and all the banners and everything else going on. And uh, not to mention, I mean, you're going to get a lot of viewership. If this happens, it's going to be you know our first probably major sport league with live sport. And uh, I think TV ratings are going to be great. Yeah, we saw UFC this past weekend, and they got, according to ESPN, around 750,000 buys. So that's really good for them. Uh, we see NASCAR restarting this weekend, May 17th, on Sunday, and they're going to race in front of no fans. Some teams are and leagues are starting to restart. Uh, we've got the golf coming up Memorial Day weekend with Tiger and Phil and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Major League Baseball would be by far the biggest league or entity to restart. And if they can restart in this time frame that we just discussed, it's going to be big. And it's going to give people something to watch on TV this summer. And Major League Baseball would be as relevant as they've ever been. And people would be very excited about watching it. But if they can't get this done because of money, I think people are going to look at them and go, wow. What a mistake they've made by, you know, not figuring this out for the goodness of the fans and, and all the people who are craving live sports. Yeah, I think America, the world needs live sports. And I think people would be really pissed if it didn't go through because of money issues. So I agree. I mean, look, summer and baseball, it goes together like, you know, apple pie on the 4th of July. It's like people want that. They crave it. And coming back and starting in July, I think would be huge. I think uh, everybody would be watching and everybody would be excited to have something to do. All right, before we get to our Joe Favorito conversation, uh, I continue to watch Last Dance on ESPN. It's just, it gets better and better every episode. I won't give any spoilers, but I will tell you this. My favorite moments of the series so far, and we're eight episodes in, the end of episode seven, the last, I'd say, three or four minutes, just phenomenal. Just phenomenal. And... Um, again, without giving anything away, I think we learn about Michael Jordan's mindset and just how competitive he is and why he's built the way he is. And to me, it's why he's the greatest athlete who's ever played a team sport in my lifetime. And, you know, I'm 51 years old. So uh, just so well done. Looking forward to the last two episodes this weekend. And uh, Griggs, you know, they continue to average 5.6 million viewers per episode. So this is a big win for ESPN. I think this has been great for Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls as well. Oh yeah. Big win for ESPN and people are loving it. They're coming back. Like you said, it's been consistently five, five and a half, six million viewers. So people are loving it and continuing to tune in every Sunday. And I agree. It's just so well done. And like you said, Jordan is above all others because it's the mindset. It's not necessarily even just his skill. It's his mindset. His competitiveness is just a league above any anybody he played against. It's fascinating. I love it. Yeah. And you see, you know, he was raised by good parents. He went to North Carolina, played for Dean Smith. He always surrounded himself with people who were at the top of their game. Uh, we have had David Falk, his agent, Tinker Hatfield, his uh, partner on the Air Jordan Shoes on this show. And you can go back and listen to those conversations. But he always just everything he does spews excellence and it's been a pleasure to to watch the last dance documentary all right coming up next joe favorito is going to join me who has gotten it right the last few months during covid19 we're going to tell you some of the winners and the people who we think are doing it right 
You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm thrilled to tell you about a new Sports Business Radio partner who's going to help you and whose products have been life-changing for me and my family. CBDMD is now the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Many people use CBD products as a regular part of their health and wellness routines, but only the best use superior products from CBDMD. CBDMD has a wide variety of CBD oil products ranging from classic CBD oil tinctures to topicals, gummies, heck, they even have CBD for your pets. From NFL veterans like Nate Burleson and future Hall of Famer Steve Smith Sr. to two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson, CBDMD is tested and trusted by people who know pain. And the best part? All CBDMD products are THC-free. That was important for me. Third-party tested and backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. Look, these are anxious times for many of us right now. We're not sleeping nearly as well. I tried CBDMD's award-winning CBD PM drops, and I now sleep through the night. My daughter loves CBDMD's Revive Moisturizing Lotion and the CBDMD Freeze Pain Roller for her aches and pains from playing sports. And our dog loves the CBDMD Soft Shoes. And because the products are all THC-free, CBDMD is safe for our family. Dozens of companies have sent me CBD product to try over the years, but none come close to the superior quality of CBDMD. Sleep better, relieve your aches and pains, give your pets treats that they will love. And to make it even easier to see what CBD can do for you, CBDMD is offering all of our listeners 25% off your order when you use the promo code SBR at checkout. Once again, go to cbdmd.com and use promo code SBR at checkout to save 25% on your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Again, cbdmd.com, use the promo code SBR at checkout and save 25%. Thank me later. My guest is a longtime friend, Joe Favorito. You can find him on Twitter at Joe Fav. He's really an authority and thought leader in the sports marketing and PR space. He formerly led efforts for the New York Knicks, the Philadelphia 76ers, the WTA, the USTA. He's now a consultant to many top sports companies and brands. He's been doing this for a long time. His weekly sports marketing and PR pros newsletter is a must. If you do not subscribe to it, you've got to go to joefavorito.com and sign up for it immediately. He's also got a third edition of his book, Sports Publicity, that's going to be coming out sometime soon. Joe Fav, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Thanks, Brian. I'm disappointed not to see you in New York in the next couple weeks. Yeah, me too. It's been a rough one. Uh, I would have loved to have seen you at Sports PR Summit. Hopefully, uh, we'll all get together in person sometime soon, but uh, I always enjoy seeing you at that event. I wanted to bring you on and, you know, you and I had an offline conversation. We talked about some of the best practices, the companies that are doing it right, the individuals that are doing it right since COVID-19 hit. So I wanted to take this time to kind of go through your list and compare notes with my list and uh, see what we come up with. But who's on your list? Who's out there that's done it right so far? Well, it's funny. The level of doing it right is obviously related to what's going on right now. I think that the biggest thing is 
you've seen properties, brands, um, leagues for some, to some extent, be ready for this. And, and, and one of the things I think you've seen is that this process has kind of accelerated some of the inevitable in taking things that were kind of interesting and then pushing them forward so that you could have legitimate experimentation, looking at a new audience, figuring out how you kind of re rearrange the furniture when you're delivering a platform, how gaming gets involved. Um, and, and you've seen some pretty interesting things, whether it's, you know, iRacing, uh, whether you've seen a company like Stratomatic, which was a 70-year-old um, board game with s some digital components where you could play online, reinvent themselves, and come up with ideas to use simulations to rerun the end of the Major League Baseball season, uh, rerun the entire baseball season and the end of the NBA season and into the playoffs like they've done. Um, you know, you've seen some of the leagues now really kind of embrace whether it's MLB The Show and figuring out how you can get fans engaged both on a digital and a broadcast standpoint. Um, I think one of the things that I think has been pretty amazing using, obviously, Zoom, which has now become, you know, something that we do every day. We have to Zoom with somebody. We can't just <laughs> pick up somebody and call them on the phone. Right. Um, and you certainly can't see a lot of people in place. But uh, I think some of the things that I've seen the Los Angeles Dodgers do with Zoom, which has been different from just slapping people up there and really getting some engagement, has been really cool. Um, you know, some of the stuff the players have done uh, has been important and empathetic, whether it's raising money for cause or whether it's just, you know, doing some online business, um, connecting with coaches like the Washington Wizards have done with Scotty Brooks every week hosting um, kind of a, a Zoom chat with local high school coaches. I think that's really smart. And, and you know, some have, have tried to reinvent the wheel. Some have kind of sat back and tried to figure out what, um, what they should be doing, you know, kind of where it fits into the share of voice, you know, as concerns are going on. Um, some have tried some things like horse that hasn't worked out, but at least they tried. Um, and I think that's, that's the beauty of this is you're going to see things that are happening now that will be part of the, the fan experience and part of the brand experience going forward. Um, just because they said, Oh, that's kind of interesting. Let's see if this works like in golf. Um, and it will be ubiquitous going forward, whereas it may have taken two, three, four, five years, whether somebody in a risk-averse business like some of the, the major sports would have never tried. Yeah, I think – so there's a lot to unpack there with what you just said, but let's start with Zoom. Uh, for those who don't know, Andre Iguodala, NBA player – is an investor, early round investor in Zoom. So I've been saying he's probably going to make as much from his Zoom investment as he'll make from his entire NBA career, which is pretty phenomenal, right? Well, I, I think, frankly, from what I've heard from some of the Wall Street people is when normalcy starts to come back, uh, the stock price in Zoom will plummet because people won't use it as much or they, they won't think it's as hot. It will become you know, kind of, unless they reinvent themselves a little bit. But anybody who got in early on Zoom, uh, congratulations to Andre and any of the other investors because they've made a lot of money in the last couple of weeks. And you know, that's the beauty of being a good investor is know when to buy in and when to fold. So that's an interesting question, what you just said. So a lot of articles are being written about more people are going to be working from home coming out of this. More per people are going to be using technologies like Zoom instead of meeting in person coming out of this. What are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, 
we started Sports PR Summit in large part because I'm a big believer in face-to-face. I like meeting in person, but there will be some limitations coming out of this, at least for the, the short term. Do you think people are going to be pretty ready to get back and meet in person or work in an office environment, or is this going to change that? I hope they do. I mean, I think that's the one thing we're missing is hugs and high fives um, and the randomness. You know, I, I talked to a friend of mine, Joel Feld, this morning, and I said one of the things that, that people are talking about is, yeah, it's great to work from home, and I've been doing this for 12 years myself, and, you know, so I've been practicing social distancing before I knew what it was. Um, but, you know, I think the getting up and getting around, and especially in a major city or at a conference, you don't know who you're going to run into. And you can't do that, you know, sitting behind a desk right. or on your own, hanging out in your house or working in a, in a small WeWork space. You know, the beauty of, of being an industry that is driven by people and has a heartbeat is you can't just sit by yourself because you never know what's going to happen. It's funny. There's, I'm a big fan of the odd couple and there's a, a funny scene where Felix was afraid to fly and Oscar recreated like, um, uh, the air, the air, the airplane in his living room, and you know the point was, you know, there was a stewardess that came in and he hung out with this woman, and you know, almost had a date with her, and you know, Oscar tried to convince Felix, you know, that it couldn't happen, you know, sitting in your living room. And he turned around and said, it just did, but that's not reality, you know. It's, it's, you know, getting out and those random meetings that you have, whether you're working, walking down the street or in a park. Um, with your kids and someone happens to be a soccer coach and you get to have a random conversation, that's all loss. And I think that's a big part of growing any kind of business is the randomness that happens when you're interacting with people. And that randomness is gone right now. It doesn't exist. It's impossible to recreate no matter how technologically savvy you are. I completely agree with you, but here's, we both have kids and, you know, we have kids who are teens. They're growing up in a very remote world. Online learning, social media, not seeing each other in person as much. So, you know, our generation, I hate to make it sound really old, but, uh, we like the face to face. We like the, like you said, high fives and, and, you know, getting together face to face. But with their generation, I'm wondering, like, is this going to become the norm for them? Well, I, I think their terms of interaction are different. And, and I teach a lot of high school kids as well for, programs, whether it's at Columbia, the School of New York Times, um, and they've, I've helped work with a bunch of kids uh, at various high schools from around the country creating a platform called Future Sports Business Leaders. So they've gone back and they've created little high school programs on sports business in their high schools. And what we've done during this time is I've helped them all come together in a Zoom chat, bringing in some experts in various places. Uh, and, and what we've seen is randomly people are showing up in these interactive Zoom chats from other schools that they just heard about this. Hmm. So they want to interact. They engage, you know, in different ways, whether it's through a Reddit AMA or, you know, other groups that they've set up or through Slack where they are engaging amongst their peer groups. The question is how do you keep expanding those peer groups? And, and there are social social applications to that. But I still think the old-fashioned you know, having a cup of coffee or meeting someone for someone who wants to be a professional in the field will never go away. It's the way the business works, whether you are 25 or 55. 
Um, and, and, you know, we are social animals. We are gatherers. We go from place to place. We're nomads. You know, we move. And, you know, there is something to be said from, you know, developing your own brand and building things amongst your own community. But eventually you have to expand outside that community if you're going to be successful in any field at all. And the only way to to do that is by meeting people face-to-face. And by the way, that face-to-face was called school. So, so, you know, I I think this is a little bit of a a temporary blip that we will see through the the prism of history where a couple years from now, some people may not remember whether it was six months or two months or a month. Um, and then they'll go back to doing what they're doing. But I, th- I think interaction is critical and, you know, in being able to have that tactile ability to touch someone or to high-five someone, especially around sports or media or entertainment, is really critical. And that's not going to go away. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and I, I hope you're right. Um, who else is doing a good job? The, the word we've been using throughout all of this is pivoting. Who's pivoting well during this? I think health and uh, healthcare and wellness is is another area that that you're seeing grow more um, as companies adapt to an online world and figure out what it is that they can do to engage with people. Um, you know, the healthcare business I think is going to be bigger than it's ever been before. Uh, I think the gaming industry, in terms of casual gaming, not just professional esports, but casual gaming, and how they figured out ways like Minecrafted, working with the pen relays. Um, to figure out how to, to kind of engage with a larger audience has been really good. I think, like I said, there have been some teams that have figured out ways to engage with a new group of fans, whether that's through NBA 2K, whether that's through, you know, the new initiative that the NHL has law, uh, launched. We mentioned iRacing before. You know, the question becomes, can you sustain that or you just go back to the same old? I was a little bit surprised now that, and we're here on um, May, what's today, May 11th, that NASCAR now going back to racing is not going to abandon the iRacing platform, but it's going to take the back burner, when in reality, they engage with fans who probably want to keep doing that and learn more about it. So so I think you're going to find a blend of, you know, kind of the, the new digital engagement and the traditional. And one of the places I think you're going to see it going forward is in golf where people watched replays of the masters and you were sitting there watching Phil Mickelson comment on a hole and then suddenly went to, um, you know, a virtual experience, uh, where someone was showing you what it was like to, you know, drive a golf ball in an AR experience in a men corner. And I think people like that. And now you're going to get hopefully to combine both those two. And one place you're going to see that growth is in a second screen or a digital experience that's in the cloud that everybody will have, as as part of the the regular engagement, whether it's sports, whether it's a movie, um, whether it's a live television show, you're going to see that more and more in real time versus just kind of something that was kind of thrown on the back back burner. And the reason why is because the real smart salespeople are going to figure out how to sell it now better than ever before. Yeah. Sticking with tech, uh, and you've written about this, we've talked about it on this show. There's going to be a new normal when you attend an event in the person, in person in the future. It's going to be cashless. It's going to be ticketless. There's probably going to be some form of screening when you walk into the facility or before you get to the facility, you'll have some form of ID that lets people know that you're not sick or, you know, you've passed protocols to be able to enter the venue. I would think that there are companies in those spaces that are are making those plans right now. We know sanitation is going to be 
really big. Uh, Oakview Group, AEG, these are companies that are starting divisions of their company focused only on sanitation, extreme sanitation. So I think those companies are, are uh, preparing themselves for the new normal. Yes, and you will see, um, you know, a couple of years ago I wrote something about teams hiring a new position called director of gaming. And lo and behold, that happened. Um, I think whatever this fan engagement or team cleanliness or fan support person is, there have been a couple teams that have already said we're hiring that person now. That job is going to evolve over time, but I don't think it's going to go away. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, we're going to wipe all this stuff down and, you know, six months or a year from now, it's going to go away. And the reason why it's probably not going to go away is this has been a wake-up call for the world to say these cataclysmic events can continue to happen and we have to be in front of them now. And like you go into a restaurant in most cities where there is an ABC in terms of cleanliness, in terms of food preparation, you're going to have another whole category going forward where you're going to need that good housekeeping seal of approval just to make everybody feel okay that they're sitting there in the stands. And it's going to be very, very, very visual. You are going to see drones flying overhead, spraying some stuff onto the field. I think you're going to see, like, you know, everybody's used to the seventh inning stretch and, you know, people coming out and, and scrubbing the base pads and making sure that new bases are there. You're going to see, like, the sixth inning hand sanitizer promotion come along. There's no doubt that those things are going to happen. And we're going to get used to them, just like after 9-11, we got used to not bringing water bottles through uh, metal detectors in airports, you know, there's going to be an adjustment. I, I think the other side of it is teams are going to have to adjust and making people feel okay and with things like, I'm bringing my own food to a game, by the way, now. I'm bringing in my own water bottle because as much as I like you, I can't trust you until I do it myself. So there's going to be adjustments made there, too. It's going to be across the board, and it's um, something that we'll get used to. Um, and some things we won't like, and sometimes things people will bitch and complain about and say, why do I have to do this? And there will be people who will protest about it. But in, in reality, if you, if you run any kind of venue, you want to make sure that people feel like it's clean, safe, uh, and practical for them to come and bring their kids, most importantly, especially at the prices that were being charged. And and that's the world we're going to be in going forward. There's no doubt that th those things are all happening. They're happening now. Um, and frankly, I, I would imagine that most venue owners, although they're taking a huge loss right now, some of it is, which is unrecoverable, that they're using this time effectively to say, when we open our doors, this is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like. This is what it's going to smell like that, that, makes it okay for everybody to be there, whether I'm there with my family or my, you know, my older audience, which is, you know, 50 and older is the largest uh, demo that's growing in the U.S. Joe, I have said this for a long time on Sports Business Radio. I think you and I have even had this conversation. I think locker rooms being open to the media is an outdated practice. I've always said there's a different place other than the locker room when someone's getting out of the shower and they're in a towel to do interviews. Um, I think, you know, we saw right before things started shutting down, some of the leagues like the NBA restricted locker room access to essential personnel only. I think that's going to be another thing coming out of this, that we're not going to have media in the locker room anymore. They're only going to have essential personnel in the locker room and they're going to maybe not expose the players to as many fans and autograph sessions and, and things like that. 
What are your thoughts on how all of that will work with players and, and essential personnel being a little bit more secluded than they were before? Um, I think there has to be a happy medium uh, met because even as those restrictions were being put in, you know, there were already protests going on from the media. Uh, you know, we've seen mixed zones work in the international sports space for years. Sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't work well. And by the way, locker room access is an American or a North American thing. Right. If you go to games in other parts of the world, you know, the, the, even on the tennis side, I mean, the USTA was the last grandson that had open locker rooms. So the question becomes, how do you get access? You know, how do you do your job? Um, how do you continue to tell stories that are worthwhile and that people will look to your platform or your, your social media position to, to, um, help you do your job and grow your base. That's, that's going to become an increasingly challenging thing to do, but it's going to be give and take. I think that you have to have both sides working and understanding that we need them to help us tell our story, even though we can go direct to consumer right now. Um, but there are still very large platforms out there that I think will succeed and figure out how to do it. Some of whom, by the way, like Bleacher Report, was built on the back of no access for a long time and no highlights for a long time. So um, you're going to see the media companies, the ones who have the rights, figure out ways to get access and, and access to content because there's a, a pay at the end of this um, that I think is going to become more valuable. So those rights to um, get access, I think, are going to be part of collective bargaining agreements going forward more than they ever were before, where it was just assumed that you open up a locker room and people come in. Now, what I hope is that teams don't start limiting access to games from media, that they actually embrace you know, smaller disruptive platforms more than ever before because it is still nice to have, you know, the larger platforms that an older audience understands, but there are those younger disruptive um, media people and whether they are, their primary source of engagement is TikTok or whether it's Twitter or whether it's um, a visual channel like their own YouTube channel, I think that there has to be an understanding that those are just as valuable and we have to treat them as, quote, media as anybody else, and, and Brian, as we've talked about, you ask people who media are. Anybody who owns a phone who owns a, or a mobile right. device in their hands is media now. You can't say that – and when people talk about, oh, it's a national publication. Well, if you know an elite athlete or a team or a league is sharing something on their social platforms, whether it's written by someone down the street or whether it's a short-form video, it's national. Once, it, once something is done, the ability to make it national now is done by – the end user, not by the platform itself. Right. Well, it's global. I mean, anyone in the world can access well, this conversation right now or the videos that you've pointed out. Um, I think, look, I'm not saying that media shouldn't have access to the athletes. I've just said, I don't know that the locker room is the place. And I do think that going through this time right now, look, there's lots of storytelling going on and no one's meeting in person with the athletes. So do you hop on a Zoom with someone in the future? Do you, you know, conduct conversations or interviews in a different way or someplace other than the locker room going forward? I think it's going to happen. We're just going to see, you know, what forms of communication those are. But I do agree with you that the, the smaller outlets too and, you know, anyone with a, a big audience, whether it's YouTube or a podcast or whatever it is, they're going to be taken more seriously too. Cause Joe, here's the truth. 
a lot of the mainstream media, they're having to lay people off right now. We're seeing iconic uh, publications that are laying people off or going under altogether. And, and the way that stories are told in the future is going to be different than through the mainstream media like it's always been. Well, you just touched on something which is really interesting. We're thinking of things of locker rooms as what they were, not what they may be going forward. So keep in mind, if I am an NFL team, do I want 65 guys sitting on top of each other in a locker room right now? So what will the locker room space look like going forward? What will the coaches' rooms look like going forward? Where am I going to have to go back into the bowels of MetLife Stadium and now reinvent what the Giants or the Jets' space is going to be? Because it's not going to be the same thing that you think it's going to be. Um, and that's something that, that you know, hasn't really been addressed. Like, okay, we realize we're going to create this, this um you know, this wall with the media and in Wrigley Field or, or Fenway Park, they're not going to be able to get into the really cramped locker room. Okay, we get that. That's not happening anymore. But what are we doing with the players? We don't have enough room to put, if we, if we need to triple the space, which I'm sure will be part of the, the collective bargaining with the players associations, to make the players feel safe as to where they're going to be, what's that going to look like? And then, then where is the other distressed space somewhere in the building that we can do um, – something with media. Now, the other side of that is how do we use technology? Do we suddenly, after a game, create a video channel just for our beat writers so that if they're not sitting there and they can't talk to somebody, they're getting exclusive access with that with that player or with three or four players at the same time, but it's done digitally. It's not done face-to-face, but it's done in a manner that I could see a reaction to someone standing there. I think that's really interesting, and that could probably be a whole other business and a sponsorable piece of content that isn't that hasn't even been thought of yet. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAZ and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. There's a lot of people that go into locker rooms, and they're not really doing any content at that time. They're they're in there shaping a future story. They're building a relationship face-to-face. But they're not in there, like, actually capturing content that's going out soon thereafter. So I, I think your idea is an interesting one. Yeah, and I think anybody who thought of the businesses that we're in, media, entertainment, um, sports, what it looked like on March 12th is not going to be what it looks like on the other side of this, whether that's June 1st, July 1st, October 1st, January 1st. Um, I think that the world that we knew then is not coming back in the way that, that it was. Um, and frankly, in some ways, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, 
you need a little revolution every once in a while. That was, you know, uh, one of Thomas Jefferson's great lines was, you know, a little revolution every now and then is a good thing. So I'm not saying this is a good thing at all. I lost one friend. I have other people who've been stricken with this. Um, you know, I'm, you know, more than a little bit stir crazy, but, you know, you figure out ways to make the best out of the situation that you have. That's what good leadership does is you, you look at a situation and see it in a different way and figure out how you can help people move along, not just move along, but improve. And I think the disruptive companies and leagues and teams and brands that have been able to figure out the change that will be coming and embrace that change and make it for the better are the ones that are going to succeed. And that's the way it's always been. One of the best pivots during the last few months, in my opinion, and we had Peter O'Reilly on a couple of weeks ago, a lot of people were against the NFL holding their draft, even virtually, and said it was tone deaf and just didn't like the timing of it. They thought there were going to be tech glitches everywhere. And Joe, when it was all said and done, many people said this was their favorite draft ever because you saw reactions from the draftees in their house. You saw GMs sitting next to their kids or, you know, in the case of Bill Belichick, his dog Nike sitting at the computer. We got an insight and a perspective that we had never had before. And I thought the NFL, they went against the grain and they pivoted beautifully. And you think of all of the people that they had to have uh, access to remotely, whether it was the prospects or the coaches or the GMs or the broadcasters with ESPN and the NFL network. It was a huge production, but they pulled it off and they showed like, hey, you may not think we're doing the right thing, but uh, we know what we're doing. And, and at the end of the day, they were right. Well, Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr do the great um, Flying Coach podcast. Right. The Ringer. And he talked about after they got through the first round and in his head that everything was working and it didn't seem strange at all. It worked the way it was supposed to work. And I give the NFL a lot of credit for a lot of the things that they've done. And, you know, when will the season start on time? I thought it was a little bit strange that they announced exhibition games, but who knows what they're going to look like. And uh, Neil Pilson, who teaches with me at Columbia and was president of CBS Sports for a long time, has a great saying is, you're doing things until you're not. And the NFL has done a good job, as has the PBR, by the way, and even, for better or for worse, the UFC, in figuring out ways to go first and figure out what things will look like. And by the way, I give the WNBA a lot of credit, too, for doing a virtual draft. First. Yes. Um, and even some of the things that the NWHL did in their draft, which were kind of interesting, and people can look at it and say, oh, we had celebrities pick in the first round, and that was kind of cool. So how do we do that going forward? I think all those little best practices go in a notebook, and people take them out down the line for when we get back to something else, because if they're best practices and they were done well, why shouldn't they be repeated? They weren't just done just because. So, um, but I think, yes, I think that that access to, you know, the inner sanctum of places and, and the NFL did it obviously again, when they announced the schedule was great. And is it something that you have to have every time? No, that gets boring, but you take those little things and you put them in a bag of tricks and you pull them out when they're right. And now you can go back that you've proved concept and say, for all those naysayers, look, we did it. Did it bother anybody? No. So why can't we do those things? That's the beauty of what this time is, is you, the, the people who are the, the disruptive, bigger thinkers sit there and say, why can't we do it that way? Just because that the Kentucky Derby 
was the first weekend in May for 100 years doesn't mean that's where it's supposed to be all the time. Just because the U.S. Open is played the last week of August, the first week of September at Flushing Meadows, doesn't mean for this year you can't play it in Indian Wells. So, so you know, I think getting people out of those mindsets because that's the way it's always been done is a really valuable tool no matter what business you're in today. Yeah, I, and I think... We're seeing the companies who are pivoting, who are getting creative, and we're seeing the companies who have basically gone dark and said, you know what, we don't have anything to say until life returns to normal. And I've said on the show, I think that's a big mistake. I'm going to give you two names of people who I think have become huge winners out of all of this. One is Roger Goodell. Who, you know, again, he's sitting in his basement and he's changing wardrobes and he's eating M&Ms out of the jar. And he was more relatable than I've ever seen him before, uh, via the draft. He even did a TikTok with, with one of the draftees. And then we're all watching the last dance. And Michael Jordan is someone who has rarely allowed access and rarely done in-depth interviews about his career. And, you know, I am enjoying that documentary and the way he's portrayed himself. And I have even more respect for the way that he played and, and his mentality. And so those are two names that during this, you know, content that I'm watching, those two names really stand out to me. Um, I agree on Roger Goodell. Um, and I think that is a conscious choice that was made collectively. And I give people like Brian McCarthy and John Schwartz a lot of credit for yep. helping coax someone out of there. And the example I will give you is very personal because my brother actually goes to the same bagel store that Roger goes to in Westchester <laughs> County. And he said there have been times where he's been in there and been very guarded. And for some reason over the last month, um, when he's been in there on a Saturday morning, he does the same thing apparently every Saturday morning. My brother and other people who've been in there have noticed that he's been more accommodating, more interested, more less kind of looking around people looking at me mm-hmm. than than ever before. And that's something that is totally random, but apparently is true. I don't know that for a fact, but I know as much of the anecdotal stuff that I've heard. And I think that that human side of it was probably waiting to come out for a while and kind of the, the battering ram that the NFL has been over numerous topics over years um, did not permit that, but this, this turn of events permitted it. On the other one, you know, it's great to have seen this, but at the end of the day, you know, the people who work with Michael Jordan control the whole thing. And, you know, I'm sure that there were pieces there and, 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 the people who put it together over the course of years um, did a great job of taking that those pieces and, and, and humanizing them. But it does show when you control the, the media, which they were absolutely controlled, and and it came out really great what you can do with really great directing and really great storytelling if you'd like to do it. And frankly, yes, I think that, that he has come across um, to a mainstream audience, which might know Michael Jordan from Michael B. Jordan as as a new personality, a human side of it, which a lot of people didn't see. And frankly, it's kind of tragic that it got to this point where people hadn't seen it before. Right. Uh, and knowing Tom Smithberg, who was one of the PR people, and Tim Allen with the Bulls, you know, they've always talked about that side and uh, being vulnerable and letting it kind of come out through the course of the last couple of weeks um, with The Last Dance has been great. I've enjoyed it. 
Um, it brought back a lot of memories. I love looking in the background to see people who I've known over years who kind of pop up, like Carmen Romanelli from Getty Images and uh, Terry Lyons and Brian McIntyre um, and some of the other kind of cameos that come in that only people in this industry would know. But yes, it's been a great piece of storytelling. Um, and, uh, you know, I give ESPN and Mandalay and all the people who are involved with it a lot of credit for doing it. Speaking of ESPN, another winner through all of this, someone who was recently on our Sports PR Summit online series chat, Scott Van Pelt. I just love how he's personalized SportsCenter over the last few years, but I really like the level he's taken it to during COVID, and he talked a lot about that during our Sports PR Summit online series. But the thing that stuck out to me is the hashtag senior night. So all the seniors that had their seasons cut short, in high school and in college, and it just abruptly was over. And there was no graduation, there was no end of the year, you know, party ceremonies, banquets, anything. And he's been honoring a lot of the seniors on Sports Center on the big stage that he has. And, and I think that's been really cool. Yeah, I mean, SVP has always been about reinvention. It's a shame, I guess, that they're not going to be able to move everything back to DC this summer like they were planning to do, but that will happen at some point. Um, and, you know, I, I think the human side of some of the great talent that you and I know who reside in Bristol or at other places has really kind of risen to the top. I think the empathetic side of people um, has really been impressive to see um, across the board. And, you know, it's it's certainly not something that, that any of us would have wished, but you kind of feel like at least to now, <laughs> as we see here on May 11th, that you feel like more people are pulling with you than against you. So the last thing I'll ask you is this, unless you have other, uh, you know, best practices or people who are doing it right to share. You also are director of industry relations at Columbia University Sports Management. As I mentioned earlier in the conversation, we both have kids who are learning online right now, and it's not in-person learning. It's very different. Where do you see sports business learning going in the future? Because, th again, this is a different way of learning. And as you said earlier in the conversation, too, getting together with someone for coffee or getting together with them face-to-face, -face, it's a big part of our industry. I don't think the ability to storytell has changed for 2,000 years. I think the medium as to how it is done has changed, obviously, and you adapt to changes. That's what smart people do. They figure out ways to you know, take a square and make it into a circle. Um, I think that there, this industry is obviously undergoing contraction like many other industries that involve around entertainment. Uh, and the, the biggest challenge is how you distinguish yourself from other people. Um, and I tell younger people or people looking to reinvent their careers, that's the most important thing. You have two things that, that, that you need to do. One is, what makes you different from everybody else and how do you tell that story and, and what platforms do you tell that story on? Uh, and then the other thing is the, the ability to be genuinely a good person. I think if you are a jerk in this industry and as things contract or if you are arrogant uh, and, and are in it just for yourself all the time, that that, that is going to have a light shown on you more and more going forward than it ever has before. Um, I think anyone who is unemployed, on hiatus, in transition, um, on a furlough, has to stay busy. And, and by staying busy, the best way to do that is to keep learning. 
and I'm a big learner. I, I think that I try to go through every day trying to learn something different that I didn't learn before. And when you sit back in your state and you're in your cubicle or at your desk, you know, or you're in your silo, you don't have the ability to do that all the time. I think that, the, that one of the, the shining lights that will come out of this is what did I learn about myself as a person and a professional on March 12th versus when this is over? And how am I able to keep growing in that industry, no matter what industry it is, or if it's a new industry that you're going into? I think reinvention is a good thing. I was forced to do it 12 years ago when the property we were running, the International Fight League, uh, ran out of money and we sold the assets to the UFC. And I was lucky enough to have people around me who literally pushed me off the ledge and threw me into the pool and told me I could do it. It wasn't by choice. It was something that happened. And that's the other thing that I'll say is sometimes uh, change chooses you. You don't get the ability to choose it. And, and when you see it coming, you have to be able to figure out how to embrace it and get comfortable being uncomfortable and figure out how you can take what you have now and move it forward because everybody has great skills and great stories. Sometimes when you're sitting there and, and it feels like the world is collapsing around you and there are many people right now whose world is collapsing around them, both physically and emotionally and financially, uh, that you have to take those little things and keep building blocks. You know, we've, we are a resilient people. We've seen it time and again, whether it was 9-11 or, you know, the Second World War or Hurricane Sandy or fires and earthquakes where we'll figure out ways to rebuild. What you can't do is sit back and wait for change to come to you. You have to lean forward and embrace the change that's coming and figure out how you get from day to day to day and keep moving things forward. That's the most important thing. The great thing about sports is we learn a lot from our losses, Brian, sometimes more than our wins, and you lose more than you win, most people, unless you're you know, the Yankees or the Golden State Warriors at least in recent years, <laughs> but, um, you know, learning from those losses and figuring out what you can take out of it is how you grow. You know, that's science. The greatest scientific discoveries have been made off of things that they never thought were going to happen. I mean, there's a famous story of, you know, recently one of the funnier ones is Viagra, which was a failed heart medication, and they couldn't figure out why all these older men kept coming back for this medication that wasn't helping them with their heart until they asked them the right questions because they listened to them. And that's how Viagra became the, the business that it became. Um, and you've seen that time and again. You know, Alexander Graham Bell doesn't spill acid on his hand and yell into a device. We may never get the phone at that point. You know, so, um, you know, you go time and time again where science has taught us that you learn from loss. And that applies to sports as well. That's what I tell younger people or people who are looking to reinvent right now because it's been thrust upon them. How do you do that? And what can you make out of what you have to do something different and something better? And you'll figure it out. I think most people will figure it out if they're persistent um, and they, they have great skills and they've been a good person. Because if you're a good person, as you know in this business, people will give you a second chance or another look. And those people who give you that second look, sometimes the people that you don't know are going to do it today, but they will down the line. And you have to stay hopeful. That's the most important thing is we're going to get through this. We're going to be different on the other side. We're going to have learned a lot of things. We're going to have to apply those things to the new normal, whatever it is, and we're going to do it together. That's great, great stuff. I feel like I'm at the uh, the church of Joe Favorito right now, but that's all Really, really good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, before I let you go, we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, the third edition of your book, Sports Publicity, is coming out soon. What's going to be different? It's out, actually. It's somewhere in the ether. I have not seen it. I've been told it's an ebook right now. If you look it up on Amazon, it's there. 
there's a lot of different things in it. We, you know, the last edition was updated in 2012. Oh, boy. 2012. So now. Lots happened. Uh, but, you know, the great thing about it was there were a lot of best practices that went into it, which we were literally updating in February uh, when uh, the publisher, uh, Routledge from the UK, took the third edition. Um, the amazing thing is, obviously, there's a whole new book, I think, that can be done somewhere uh, in the fall or next winter about what we've learned since March 12th. Uh, but the book is really a lot of best practices, other people's stories. Uh, some really amazing stories of people who've reinvented themselves and learned storytelling, whether it's from, you know, Wimbledon or the French Open or from the PBR or the NFL. They're all in there. It was great having put it together again. The book is totally different from the first two editions, um, and we hope that especially students or people who are looking to learn best practices around storytelling, you know, enjoy it. And I would certainly look at the ebook first uh, and, and the other editions afterwards if you need it or if you have an interest. Or, you know, a lot of the stories are actually found on the website that we do, too, which is what became a compendium for the change in a book. Well, we have a lot of students who listen to this show, a lot of teachers who listen to this show, sports publicity by Joe Favorito. Make it part of your curriculum. Joe Favorito, you can follow him on Twitter at Joe Fav. You can go to his website, joefavorito.com. As I told you earlier, the sports marketing and PR pros newsletter that comes out every Sunday, you can sign up for it at joefavorito.com. I look forward to that newsletter every Sunday. And uh, Joe, it's just a pleasure having you on Sports Business Radio. Keep up the great work. And you're a real thought leader in our industry, and we all appreciate you. Thanks, Brian. You know, the other thing that I will say in closing is thank you for doing this. You've really, you know, we mentioned this when we talked offline. You know, some of the guests that you've had recently, you know, are certainly way, way beyond my pay grade, whether it's, you know, John Smoltz or some of the other ones that you've had on recently who've been amazing listens and amazing storytellers themselves. Every time you do a podcast, whoever listens to it is able to extract something that they didn't know. And I think in these challenging times, we need that more than ever. So thank you for doing this. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my mizzen and main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen in Maine is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMaine.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMaine.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Maine also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMaine.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMaine.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. 
follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com.